Father, we do slow ourselves down. We want to receive from you today. We want to know you. We want to walk in union with you. That's why we're here today. So I pray that your words, not mine, your scriptures, would bring life to us, would transform us, would encourage us and spur us on to know you more. So give us eyes to see, minds to comprehend, hearts with fertile soil, feet that want to run with obedience, Father, ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. I really think that's why we're here today, right? As a church and as people, we want to know God more, right? How many of you guys want to know God more today, participating? And maybe you don't want to know God more today. Maybe you're just searching to figure out what you actually believe about God. Well, you're still at a good place for that. But what ends up happening is throughout the Christian walk, there seems to be moments where your walk with Christ becomes stale. It almost plateaus, and you don't know what to do with it. And, and then what ends up happening is you go through the motions. And I think we've all had seasons or in a season where we've gone through the motions. And what I started to recognize is um, probably for me, when you get into church leadership, there's so much pressure and weight. And this isn't about me, just... I want to relate to you kind of where my stagnantness came, right? You just, you get into church leadership at a young age. So when I was 23, I became a youth pastor. And then all these expectations, um, and the church was 2,500 people. There were um, over 20 people on staff, right? So <clears throat> several pastors, multi-campuses, and you you become a young leader, and when you become a young leader and you're still learning who you are and exactly what you believe, and then you have expectations on, or then people put all their expectations on you. It becomes really challenging then to keep a pure heart, right? So you, people have expectations on you and you get offended by that, and then you almost start comparing yourself to others to protect yourself with a double standard. So then now I'm comparing myself to others, and others have expectations on me, and then you're like, well, why would you be frustrated or happy about this but not that? And then what you recognize is you're going to church wanting to lead people and serve people, but now you're going to church and you're just frustrated. And you're mad and you're disappointed. And, and one of the things I learned very quickly when I was 23 in church leadership is someone asked me this. They said, what's the hardest thing that you experience in church land? And I said, understanding people's mess and still loving them in a direction of God. That's really hard. So the more that you guys get to know me, you understand my mess, and then you have to make a decision. Do I want to love that person or not? Amen. We all have those people in our lives. So it becomes really challenging then, how do, you, how do you keep your heart during a season or seasons where things are not going your way? So that was a part of it, right? The frustration, the being worn out, being tired, things not going my way. Um, and then COVID happens, right? Now I'm not as young of a leader, 
But then COVID happens. And COVID completely changed the world for the rest of eternity. For the rest of time, COVID did something. And what we saw is we saw people dividing and church dividing and preferences coming in to church land. And um, even the most eager people seem to be saying, I'm eager to know God, I just don't know him well enough. There has to be more. And it just seems to be that what ends up happening is people are not satisfied with their relationship with God during this season. Now, there's multiple reasons why that could be. Are you over-opinionated? Are, are your preferences not being met? Are you offended? Are you hurt? Is there lack of forgiveness in your life? What is it that's keeping you from that? Are you unrepentant? Um, then COVID, right? So COVID happens, and now we're frustrated, and you're afraid to share certain statuses of whether you're vaccinated or unvaccinated, because if you share that status, then guess what? That person's not going to like you anymore if you're not the same that they are. And we just started to see this division. So then all this division within the world then comes into the church. And then because we're so worn out physically, mentally, emotionally, and take out just personal things, a lot of just individual families over the past three to four to five years have gone through a lot of hard things, just personally. COVID was just the cherry on top. So there's been so many personal things that have worn people out. And I just... I've seen a church, not just this church, I've seen a global church settle for practicing religion but missing God. I see people practicing religion but missing God. And what I want to say is this, we can't do that anymore. As individuals, we cannot practice religion and miss God. We have to be done. As a church and as individuals, we have to be done with that. So as I've been praying through the New Year's message, not that it's even a New Year's message. This is just something that my heart has been uh, longing to speak about for some time. So we want to prepare the way for the presence of God into our lives this year. Now maybe some of you, you're like, hey, I'm just, I'm on cloud nine today. I'm just, the presence of God, the anointing oil is all over my life. Everywhere I walk, I'm just in it. By the way, I see your faces this morning. I would say, you're actually hungry for more. You want more. You know that there's more. There has to be more. And I'll just say this. God is real today. Jesus is real today. And I'll say it one more time. For a long time, we have been practicing religion, but we've been missing God. And who wants to practice religion but miss the presence of God? And I wonder how many of us today feel like we've been missing God during this season. You wake up and you just do the same things that you do every day. And you're like, where's God? Like, 
God, I know you're here. I know you're sovereign. I know you're above everything, but where are you? Like, where's your presence? Where's your peace? Where's this Father leading me into something new? Where are you, God? Where is it when I, when I read the Bible that I'm just excited to read the Bible? Where is it when I sing songs that I know that while I'm singing songs that you're there? Where is it when you're leading me throughout the day or supposed to be leading me throughout the day? I want to follow you. Where are you, God? See, many people during this season, they have those questions, where are you, where are you, where are you, where are you? And then they come into church and they practice religion. I wonder how many of us today, not pointing any fingers, a rhetorical question, how many of us today during the time of worship and praise practiced religion? How many of us intended to come to church today and practice religion? You didn't say, I want to practice religion. You just said, hey, this is what you do. You go to church on Sunday to worship God. But where you've worshiped God is just this place of contentment of, or complacency, not contentment, complacency of I'm going to go to church, I'm going to feel good about myself because I went to church, and I'm going to settle for not encountering the presence of him. I don't want to do that anymore. Who wants to do that anymore? There is this assumption that if we simply claim to be believers, and this pulpit's a little wider, intrusive thoughts, so I'm not as comfortable up here right now because I'm used to being about here. But now I'm out here, so I have to really find, my, find myself up here for a minute, so excuse the intrusive thought. But um, there is this assumption that if we just claim to be believers, that we are safe and won't miss him. But again... Many people are practicing religion and missing him. Many people have practiced religion and missed him. Note the Pharisees. The Pharisees practiced religion. They understood the Bible. They tried to follow all the ceremonies and sacraments. But when the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords walked in their presence, what did they do? They missed him. And I think what has been happening for a season for the church, not that we've been Pharisees, but we practiced and missed him. And what breaks my heart is when I hear people talk about God, when I hear people talk about um, how good he is, it's from 30 years ago, a story they borrowed from TBN or a Christian movie. That's really sad. The creator of the universe, a loving father that we just talked about, and the best story that we have is from 30 years ago, a Christian mo movie, or TBN. God wants to have a relationship with us. God wants to create a history with you and I. He doesn't want us to practice religion. He doesn't want us to play church. He wants us to have a relationship with him. In Revelation 3.20, just saying, Joey, can you just give Revelation up for a while? We went through it for like a year and a half. Revelation 3.20, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. 
God wants to come into your life today. He's knocking at your door. And if you would just open it, what would he do? He would do life with you. He would let you, or if you would let him in, he'd do life with you. He'd eat with you. He'd drink with you. He'd spend time with you. He'd talk to you. When you let God in truly, you begin to create a life full of stories with him. And that's what I recognize is when I'm following him, when I'm not practicing religion, but I have a relationship with him, everything, I see him everywhere. I experience him everywhere. I see his faithfulness in everything. But when I begin to practice religion, what ends up happening is this, is I don't see him at all, even when the miracle comes. So I wanted to emphasize this today. When the church talks about their experience with God, it's often from 30 years ago, TBN, or a Christian movie. So I rhetorically ask you this. When you look back at your history with God, where do you see him? So I wanted to share with you guys today, as encouragement, some of my favorite times with God over the past several years. I want to testify. I want to encourage you that he is real, and you can have the same things or even more. But one of my favorite times with God was when I was younger, some of you know, maybe all of you know, I doubt it. When I was younger, um, I was a little kid, of course, right, because I was younger. When I was younger, I had these dreams every night of Satan. And in these dreams, it wasn't just like Satan in the dream looking at me funny or something or his face. In this dream, Satan was chasing me around my house like my, my literal house um, growing up. So then what ended up happening is then when you woke up, you're like, well, I have to go to the bathroom, but I'm afraid to go to the bathroom because that's where Satan was chasing me. And then what we used to call the den in the house, we had a green chair. And there was a, you would walk into the den and the green chair would be right there to the left. And um, in the dream, I was trying to hide in that chair from Satan. I was trying to hide behind that chair. So when I would pass that green chair every morning, what would I be reminded of? The dream. So then that would happen. Then the next night, it would be a different dream. And the different dream would be of Satan chasing me. But now not this time in the house. It would be this time chasing me in my backyard. Now, even though I was what... People called me, if um, some of you who remember me being um, Joey, little Joey, I was the blueberry bomber. I was short, wide, and thick, and um, even though I thought I was athletic, I was a little overweight as a boy. So in this dream, what would end up happening is, even though I felt like I was athletic and fast, Satan in the dream had a motorcycle in the backyard. So no matter how fast I was, he could still always get me. So guess what? Growing up, I was afraid to go out back. My mom could be at the house. My dad could be in the backyard. I was afraid to make the walk back there because of the dreams. So what ended up happening is 
um, the elders prayed. Pastor Lyndon prayed. People prayed. And it, like, this was over years that I had these dreams. But the elders prayed. People prayed. And then one day they just went away. Absolutely went away. And never had those dreams ever again. Amen? God showed up. He did it. So I remember that time. I remember this time when I was 17, and there was this youth group called The Rush that would come to our church. And it would come to our church, and then it would also be in Westville, and it had youth group there at Renewed Strength, and then at LifeNet in Urbana, we had a service. And then what ended up happening is there was a service down in Dayton, and there was a... Uh, in. Uh, Kettering. So because I did church so many times a week, what I said is I'll go to Kettering and I'll help you guys. I'll help set up. I'll like just be a leader. So 17 years old, we're at this huge church helping set up. And during worship, um, this new kid came in and of course, never seen him before. So while he came in, and the room was really cool, and it had a pool table, and um, I'm standing by the tech booth, and worship is going on. And while I'm standing, leaning on the tech booth, I see this kid playing pool during worship. I'm like, why would this kid be playing pool during worship? So what I ended up doing is I started to pray. God, I pray that this kid, whatever his name is, I haven't met him, would quit uh, playing pool. And nothing happened. I said, God, get this kid's attention. Well, he quit. I pray that you would make him quit playing pool and that he would pay attention to you in Jesus' name. Nothing happened. And I just kept on praying, God, this kid has to know you. And like now, like being much older, I should have just went over and said something to him, right? God's just like, just go say something to him. But being 17, I didn't know to do that yet. So I just kept on praying and praying and praying and praying. After two and a half songs, the kid started to look up at the worship team and he just put the balls together and he put a stick on the front of the pool table and he just sat here like this and he started to just watch worship. He didn't do anything, he just watched it and observed it. Now, because at 17 years old, you don't have all the wisdom in the world in the best way. Because sometimes we get too old to see God. Sometimes we become too mature to see God. Anyone in here ever been too mature to see God? If you don't say yes, you're a liar. <laughs> see, the older you get, the more mature you get, you miss it. But because my wonder and my childlike faith was there, that was God answering it. God answered that prayer. Now you're like, okay, not a cool story yet. Here's where the cool story happens. While I'm sitting there, I'm like, okay, God, you did it. God, you answered my prayer. The living God answered my prayer. Now what? I said, God, since you answered my prayer, how might you use me in this moment? And he said, after service, tell him that I love him and everything's okay, that I have a plan for his life. Okay, 17-year-old. Wanting to follow God, just seeing God essentially part the waters with this pool table, because in my mind it was the biggest thing ever. 
So I go up to the 17-year-old after service. He was a rough kid. I go up to him. I said, hey, man, I know this is weird. I know this is strange. But during worship, here's what God was laying on my heart, that he loves you, that everything's going to be okay, and that he has a plan for your life. The kid started to weep, just crying. And he said, my mom killed herself last week. And I've never been to church, but I told God if he was real, that I'd give him one shot tonight. And that he'd tell me that my life mattered and that he has a plan for me. Who wants to practice religion? A 17-year-old punk just trying to follow God. His faithfulness to show up. I don't know who they, if the kid's alive today. don't know anything about him anymore, right? But the living God showed up. A few years later, there was this time that um, I went to Indiana with one of my buddies. We were going out to pray for a, uh, an acquaintance of ours who had cancer. And um, on the way out, we were fasting, and uh, we were talking. And while we were praying on the way out, I felt, uh, well, we felt like God was saying, hey, um, you're going to go to Georgia. And, you know, again, because we didn't have all the wisdom of the world, because we were still operating like children, we're like, well, are we going to Georgia today? <laughs> we're young enough, adventurous enough, right? Are we going to Georgia today? So we're fasting, and we're um, going out there, and we ended up picking up the acquaintance from a hotel room where he was staying because he was receiving treatment from the University of Indiana. And while we go out there, um, we pick him up, and I passed, we passed Bob Evans. And when we passed Bob Evans, my heart broke. It's just like, I don't know why my heart's breaking right now. I feel like I want to cry. I'm not a crier, but my heart just broke, and I wanted to cry. So I'm like, I guess that's God calling me to go eat at Bob Evans. So we went and picked him up. We go to Bob Evans. We're sitting in Bob Evans. We're talking. We're eating. Um, I had to go to the bathroom, so I stand up to go to the bathroom. And while I stood up, an older gentleman touched me on the middle of my back. And uh, he said, hey, I'd like to talk to you guys. And I'm like, well, hey, I'm going to the bathroom. I will be right back, sir. So I get back, and he starts talking to us. And he said, I'm so encouraged. I've been listening to your conversation for the past 45 minutes. And I'm just encouraged to see young people who are going after God who are talking about the Bible, who are talking about becoming better Christians and following him. And while we began to talk to him, his name was Monty. We said, Monty, tell me about your life. What's going on with you? Where are you from? He said, well, I live down south, and I'm a missionary, and um, I'm from Georgia. That's weird. Because... We just felt like we needed to uh, go to, like we felt like on our way out here, God was like, hey, I want you to go to Georgia. And he said, well, I'm from Georgia, and the mission work that I do is when hurricanes come through, I help do restoration work. And the biggest projects we typically have are in Georgia and Florida, sometimes Louisiana, of course, right? And I'm like, God, you're at work. Like, that was like 
up to that point, all the conversation I had with my friend, all the conversation I had with Monty, and now he's like, Georgia, you guys don't have to believe me. Here's what I want to tell you today. You guys don't have to believe me. I want you to believe me, but you don't have to believe me. You want to know why? This is my story with him. And what I want you to know is you can have your story with him as well. That's where we don't practice religion. So Monty continues. He gets up to go pay for his bill. I probably go to the bathroom again. Too much coffee. And then we go to pay for our bill. As we pay for our bill, we walk out. Monty and his wife are sitting in their big truck, their diesel truck. And my heart broke for Monty. And because my heart broke for Monty, I said, Monty, can we lay our hands on you and pray for you? And he said, yes. So his window's down. We stick our hands in through his driver's side window. Three hands, right? Myself, my friend, the acquaintance. Three hands praying for Monty. And while we pray for Monty, it was just, um, God, I pray that he would know your love. So we prayed. While we were praying, he started to cry. And um, his wife started to cry. And then he said, boys, I want to tell you something. We're up here in Indiana because we're running from God. We took a sabbatical and we never returned home. And today we've experienced the presence of God and the forgiveness of God. And we're going to return home to Georgia to serve him again. Don't we want those stories in our life every day? Don't we want his presence and his power to see him at work? Now, here's what we didn't do. When we went out to Indiana, we were following him. What we didn't, go, what we didn't do is say, God, I'm starting a ministry in Columbus. You bless it. You see the difference? God, I'm starting a ministry. You're going to bless it. Or God said, you go to Indiana and follow what I say. For us to experience him his presence. We have to follow him. Now, the story doesn't stop there. I wasn't, that was free because the best part of the story, in my opinion, is this, is, or one of my favorite parts, is while we were standing there with Monty, we saw a man off, a homeless man off, sitting at a light. And while he was sitting at this light, he was asking for money. He had a KFC carton, box, whatever, family pack, Cylinder. He's sitting out there. And while he's sitting out there, he has nothing but volleyball shorts on. And this was before the world approved of that. Right? We don't approve of that here either. But this was before that was accepted. So all he had on were volleyball shorts. And he's sitting in a wheelchair. So of course, because we're like, God, this is you. Like you are at work today. We're going to go talk to him. So the closer we get, what I start to notice is his skin has pus on it, and it's flaking. And his hands are kind of stuck like this. And um, we say, hey, how are you? What's going on? I'm Joey. This is my buddy. This is my buddy. And um, I just wanted to say, um, see what was going on. How are you? He said, just out here asking for money. Well, do you know Jesus? And he started to practice religion. And he said, yeah, 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 I know Jesus. So what we ended up doing, because we understood what was going on, is he wanted to hear the quick, 
He wanted to entertain us and hear about Jesus just so we would put some money in his KFC container. So we shared the simple gospel, one-minute gospel of us being sinners, of needing a Savior, that God predestined that his son would die. God determined that his son would die for you and I, that if we would put our faith in him and we would confess our sins, repent of our sins, and put everything in him that we could have eternal life, And he said, okay. And then he's still entertaining us, so we asked if we could pray for him. He said, yeah, sure, pray for me, whatever. So while we sit there, this is, you know, within the first three minutes. While we sit there, I'm standing behind, whose name is Anthony. And while I'm standing behind Anthony, um, God said, put your hands on him. I'm like, I'm not married to Macy yet. Macy ain't going to want to marry me if I get that. So I said, God, let's have a conversation real quick. I know you said to lay our, lay our hands on him and pray for him, but I'm not going to do it. You know, you have angels down here. Right now you have someone who's given you, letting you see what's going on. If I touch that, I'm going to get whatever that is. And then this person who I feel like you want me to marry is not going to marry me anymore. So let me do your work for you. How many of us do God's work every day for him and we miss him? So I was telling him and telling him and telling him, rationalizing. He said, put your hand on him. So then fine, you found that spot on the back, right, where you intentionally put your fingers, right, around everything. You you tracking? So you put, I got my hands all looking funny on Anthony's back. And while, while I'm praying, while they're praying, I said, God, how can I pray for him? How could I pray for Anthony? Because sometimes we practice religion so much that we say this same prayer every week, the same way, the same day, that it's, it's just religion coming out of our mouth. Imagine if Macy can tell when I'm listening and when, when I'm engaged and when I'm not. And the church has been practicing religion for a long time, just the same stuff. You come in here, the same song, the same criticalness, the same spirit, just, oh, yeah, how, how good you are, right? So I'm like, God, how can I pray? What do you want me to say? How can I pray for this guy? And I felt like the thought that came to my mind, never heard an audible voice. The thought that came to my mind was, pray that Anthony would have a love encounter with me. So, standing there like this, God, I pray that Anthony would have a love encounter with you. That he would meet you, that he would know that you're real. They prayed, God, how can I pray for Anthony? And then you get a little bit closer, God, I pray that Anthony would have a love encounter with you. That he would know that you are real. They prayed, God, how can I pray? Anything different, I'm feeling like an idiot. God, I pray that Anthony would have a love encounter, that he would meet you, that he would know that you're real, that he would know that you're real. They ended the prayer in Jesus' name, amen. They walked off. I'm stuck. Don't care if you believe me. I'm stuck, physically stuck. I can't move my arm. I said, God, what do you want me to pray? What do you want me to do? He said, tell Anthony to move out of his house. 
So now I can't even move around and talk to God. I have to talk to God standing still. I said, God, I'm going to help you out again. I helped you out with Anthony with his skin, but I'm going to help you out again. Anthony's homeless. He's got a KFC container here, and he's asking for money. Anthony's homeless, God. So if I tell Anthony to move out of his house, that's kind of embarrassing to him. But I'm stuck. Tell Anthony to move out of his house. Tell Anthony to move out of his house. Tell Anthony to move out of his house. My buddies had done already walked down the little ditch, walking back to the car, and then they turn around and they're like, what are you doing? I'm like, well, now I'm starting to feel the pressure. I can't move. What should I do? So then here's what I said. I said, Anthony, I know this is random. This is really weird. But I feel like what God wants me to tell you is that you need to move out of your house and that he has a place for you. Arm came back. Ooh, cool. Arm came back. Anthony, like a teenager getting a brand new car for Christmas at 16, screams and cries and wailing. It was five minutes before we could even get anything in. No kidding. My buddies are like, what'd you do to him? So they started to walk back. (laughs) Did you step on his toe? What'd you steal from him? What'd you do? So they walk back. After that, Anthony said this. I live in this horrible area where there's gang members, prostitution, child trafficking, drugs, and murders happening every night. I've been praying to anything that's out there that if he's real, that he would reveal to me that there's a place for me and that I need to move out of my house. He said, you from Ohio who know nothing about me have spent 10 minutes with me, revealed to me the gospel of Jesus and that I need to move out of my house. I accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. So then what we ended up doing is we shared a little bit more in the gospel and Anthony that day, Anthony that day accepted Jesus and repented of his sins. Imagine if I was playing church that day. Imagine if I just drove out there playing church, practicing religion. Oh, cometh thou, good God, and heal our friend who has cancer. Amen. We want to know the reality of who Jesus is. But I remember walking in this. And sometime after that, while I was a college student, making minimum wage, needing some money. I felt like God wanted me to give a large chunk of money away. For me, 400 bucks. So I gave this 400 large chunk of money away by faith, trusting that I felt like God wanted me to do it. It's all that I had left over except 50 bucks. So I complained to God in a humble way of, well, now what? Why would you call me to do this? Now what? It doesn't make sense. Now what? Well, the next day, a random person ended up calling me, and they said, hey, Joey, I know this is random, but God wants me to give you $1,000. I'm like, shut up. No, seriously, I have to do this or I'm disobedient. So I took 400, trusted God. This isn't a prosperity message either, but then he gave a thousand back. I was 23 years old. No, 22 maybe. 
22 years old I was doing this. Now, what's really interesting is um, I can tell the longer story another day, but that same season I received a random check in the mail for $8,000. I wasn't looking for it, didn't know it to come. And you're like, now you're preaching because you're talking about receiving more money. <laughs> can I get some more amens? <laughs> Won't he do it? I was 23 years old, and God's faithfulness showed up that way. I wasn't practicing religion, though. Because you know what someone who practices religion does? Here's what they do. God, I know you want me to give away this 400 bucks, but I'm going to give some to the church later. I'm going to slip a 20 in, in for the church because I feel obligated, or maybe five, and then we intentionally forget our wallet when we walk into the church so we don't have to give. But God, I'm going to give some money to the church. And then if we don't do that, someone who practices religion, they say this, I know the good I ought to do, but I don't want to do it. So we don't do it. And we start analyzing all the reasons why this person shouldn't receive the money that we're going to give them because they're going to blow it. Well, if I give them this $400, God, what's going to happen next month? What's going to happen next week? How are they going to spend it? What are they going to do? But someone who's walking in the reality of a relationship with him to encounter his presence, guess what they do? They give it to him. Amen. They follow him. They trust him. Um, there was a time in my early 20s, mid 20s, early 20s, we had a small group here at the church. And while we were praying, we felt like we needed to come into the sanctuary to pray for the congregation, to pray for the service. So we ended up finding out a way to break into the sanctuary. And now you wonder why none of the doors lock. We broke into the sanctuary, we came in here and we prayed. And we stood up here on the stage, and you know, the battle's not with flesh and blood, but it's with the powers and principalities of the unseen world, according to Scripture. So us 20-something punks stood up here, and we said, we're not going to just pray to God. We're going to take the authority that God has given us, and we're going to cast out anything that has come into this place that is not of him. So we stood up here with the, th I was going to stand here, but the poinsettias are standing in my place. So... We, we were just standing here on the stage. You, whatever, this is what we did. We stood on the stage and we had a CD playing with worship and some of the younger generation, it's funny, and, and then some of the older generation is like, well, Joey, a CD, tell me about the A-tracks or, right? So we had a CD, younger generation, and we had it playing of worship and we just stood here and we said, God, we just command any darkness to flee this place. I pray, we pray that on Sunday morning, that when people come in here, that they will experience your love, your goodness, repentance will take place in their life. And we just all stood up here in Jesus' name, amen. And we walked around and we prayed for every chair and every door. And we had a moment. We weren't practicing religion. We weren't practicing religion. We were trying to live into him. Well, that Sunday, we told nobody about it. We came into church. And what ended up happening is for two and a half hours, we worshiped 30s, 20s, 10s of people just responded at the altar. People repented. They were set free, and they were coming to know who Jesus was. They were re-upping their relationship. Don't you guys want those things? 
Like, don't we want to see the power of God at life in our finances, in our friendship, in our church? No wonder why people are getting bored with church because it's become another social club. You come into church, you shake someone's hand, you put on this fake smile, you talk about the silly things you did all week that really mean nothing, and you walk out of here the same or maybe even worse because now you're offended because someone said, I didn't like the holes in your jeans. Or I didn't like the worship song. Or you preached too long, but you should have added these four scriptures. And then we just walk out of here critical. And then I walk out of here every week saying, from up here, I get the bird's eye view. Look at this carpet. (laughs) There's something coming on that too. So we miss God because we come in here so critical. One more story. There was this time after uh, Macy and I were called away to be leaders um, down in Dayton. I would occasionally meet with Pastor Lyndon. And when Tim Hortons actually had business in Urbana, um, that's when we were meeting there. Every time I drive by that or Dunkin' Donuts, it's like no one's ever there. Either way, Pastor Lyndon and I were going to meet. Macy and I were newly-ish married. And um, we were meeting earlier in the morning, maybe 7, 7.30. And we're at Tim Hortons, and I remember exactly where I was sitting. And while I was sitting there talking to Pastor Lyndon, the thought came to my mind, which I felt like was God. It wasn't against the Bible. It wasn't an audible voice. But the thought came to my mind, you need to write a book. Okay, God. So then while this thought, Lyndon's talking to me, right? Lyndon's mentoring me. He's talking to me about some deep stuff, I'm sure, like the Buckeyes or something, how good the coffee is. So he's talking to me. So he's having this conversation with me. But then I keep on hearing this intrusive thought, you need to write a book, you need to write a book, you need to write a book, you need to write a book. And I say, okay. So then now I'm talking to Lyndon, but also talking to God, right? Weird, right? Anyone else ever been there? I'm like, okay, God, if you want me to write this book, then Macy's going to say something about it today. Well, it was early in the morning, so you better believe that that meant that Macy was sleeping when I left, which meant that I didn't talk to her when I got there. So we, Lyndon and I leave the meeting. I call Macy, and I'm like, hey, Macy, what's up? She's like, oh, not much. By the way, you won't believe this dream that I had. Oh, yeah, tell me about this dream, Macy. She said, the dream that I had was that you wrote a book and that God wanted you to write a book. I said, oh, well, that's weird. Uh, because this is what just happened. So now over the next several weeks, I'm really mad at God. I'm just frustrated with him. I don't, even need to, I don't even need to lie here. Y'all listen to me read. Come on, somebody. Y'all listen to me read. Y'all listen to me talk. Um, only reason I passed English online or in college was because it was online. God, why would, I, why would you want me to write a book? Why would you, what, what would I even write a book about? So I'm mad at him for two weeks, frustrated. So one day, uh, a couple weeks later, Macy was sick. I'm on my way to church. And while I'm on my way to church, I'm driving and I'm mad at God. I said, God, 
If you want me to write this book, I'm tired of waffling. I'm tired of not knowing if this is you or not. Tell me. I was mad. And God's okay with that. God, tell me today. So I'm arguing with him from Springfield all the way down to the green. That's where the church was. 35 minutes of arguing and bickering. And I'm getting ready to get off the exit on 675. God, let me know in Jesus' name, amen. And I said that prayer. And right as I look up after Jesus' name, amen, the license plate said this, write it. I have a picture of it. I have a picture of it. That's why sometimes I walk with a limp, because I had multiple strokes that day, because I didn't believe it. And I tell you this, if I did not have a picture, if I did not have a picture, I wouldn't believe it. What are the odds? The living God when I cried out to him, he answered. I'm nobody special. At all. A sinner who's loved by God, who God has a plan for. That some days in which I want to change to make it every day and every moment that I want to honor him and follow him. Amen? Write it. What are the odds? Please. Come see the picture later. I don't want to practice religion anymore. I do not want to play church anymore. I do not want to come in here, and I don't want you to come in here and put on fake smiles. When we come in here, we want this to be about him and only him. Now, here's what I want to say. All of those stories were years ago. I hope you're gleaning that. I hope you're encouraged, but I hope you're gleaning that those stories were years ago. So I asked the question, what does it say about someone when all their stories are from years ago? Remember what I said. Most Christians have stories from 30 years ago from TBN or what? A Christian movie. These stories were years ago in my life. And where I feel like the church is missing out during the season is that freshness and that relationship they're missing right now. I do have some more recent stories, but here's what I want to say is my more recent stories are not frequent enough. And they're not frequent enough, not because of him, but they're not frequent enough because of me. God wants to do those same things in your life. So it's time for us to move from playing church. It's time for us to move out of religion and move into the reality of knowing him. And here's what I want to say is maybe some of you today, this is stretching your idea of who God is. And I, that's a good thing. But the, and you're like, I just, how can I believe these stories, Joey? Here's what I would say. 
God created everything, so how could a good God, how could a creator of everything not do these things, right? So these stories were years ago, and, and then some of you might even be saying, Joey, I've heard these stories before. So for some of you, it's really good. But for others of you, we do have to ask the question. If the only story that I have and the only story that I can tell is from 30 years ago, think of 30 years ago, what is all the life that I've missed out of him? So as a believer, it's time for us to prepare the way for the new thing that God wants to do for us during this season. We must move past our practice of religion and into a relationship. So, that was the introduction. I can't leave, the, I can't leave you wondering now. So how do we prepare ourselves to walk in this reality? How do we prepare ourselves to walk in God's presence? Well, if you have your Bibles, Mark chapter 1, we're going to turn there. Verses 1 through 8. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight the paths for him. So Isaiah is making it clear that God is sending someone ahead of Jesus to prepare the way for him. So how would John and how did John prepare the way? Verse 4. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean uh, countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locust and wild honey. And this was the message after me comes one more powerful than I. The straps of uh, whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So the gospel of Mark begins with the ministry of John the Baptist. John had a calling on his life, and his calling was simple but highly complicated, to prepare the people for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Isaiah told us that he's sending someone ahead of him, right? Mark is telling us that, that John was sent to prepare the way for Jesus. But the question is, how was John to prepare the people for Jesus? Here's what it is right here. John was to prepare the way of Jesus through teaching people repentance. You're like, I like the first half of the message or the introduction when we talked about money and getting more money, but not when we talk about repentance. John's way to prepare for the presence of God 
was through repentance. So it's clear for you and I today, how do you and I prepare for the presence of God? How do we get out of this dryness? How do we get out of this playing church, practicing religion? We repent. I don't know about you guys, but when you have someone over to your house, there's always a preparation period. You sweep and you mop. You wipe down the trim. That's been a new thing, like, over the past several years, women just wiping down trim, right? You dust. Then guess what? You wipe down the trim again. You dust again. Then you organize certain things because you're preparing for people to have their best experience. Then after you organize things at just the perfect minute, you light the candle. Because you can't light it too soon and you can't light it too late. So you light the candle at the perfect moment. Now you say, where's the husband in all of this? Well, while the wife is cleaning the house, the husbands often make something to do up outside. It's highly urgent, it's highly intricate, and it will most likely take the whole day, right? This needs power washed. Well, you power washed it last week. I know I have to finish it. Because you talk to us about unfinished projects, so I'm going to make sure that this unfinished project is complete. So the men come back in at right, just the right time. So essentially, we know what it means to prepare to have guests over. Some even know what it means to prepare to have a child. And the excitement or a new pet, you prepare for it. And just as the people of Israel were called to prepare themselves for Jesus through repentance, you and I are called to prepare ourselves for his presence in the same way. Amen. So we prepare ourselves for Jesus' presence by repenting. God's main way for us to prepare for his presence is clear. Repentance. So if we want to step into the new season, if we want to experience his presence in a new way, what must we do? Repent. Repent, repent, repent. And I know this is a little bit longer message than typically, like typically we're ending right now. But we need to stay engaged. Verse four says this, and so John Baptist, so, so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching the baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. John prepared the way of Jesus by teaching people to repent. So I ask you, when is the last time you repented? Truly, like not a, I'm not pointing the finger. When's the last time I repented? And I'm not saying take repentance in a, a lackadaisical way. Because last week, what we asked ourselves the question of is this. Do I recognize that I need God? Do I recognize what I need saved from? How do you repent if you don't recognize what you need saved from? How do you repent if you don't see the shortcomings in your life? See, repentance is more than just a confession as well. It's more than getting emotional. It's more than crying during an altar call. It's a heart change. Um, Esau, yeah, Esau kind of reveals this in Hebrews. Let's look at the life of Esau real quick. Hebrews 12, 14 through 17. 
Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble. And by this, many become defiled, lest there be any fornication or profane person like Esau. Like Esau. And here's what Esau was like. Who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. A lot of things that we do that we know we shouldn't do, we regret. Sometimes we regret the way that we gossip. Sometimes we regret the way that we complain. Sometimes we regret that we're unforgiving. Sometimes we regret that we come into church and we play church. Sometimes we regret that God wants us to do something and we don't do it. But what ends up happening is we go to him, and sometimes we even... I'll carefully say this, not judging anyone at all. I'll judge myself. And Paul even tells me not to do that. Sometimes I come up to the altar and respond to him, or I'm sitting at home and I'm talking to him and I regret a decision that I made and I get emotional and maybe I cry about it, whatever, or get frustrated about it. But just because I regret it and have emotions doesn't mean that I've repented. That's what Hebrews 12 is telling us here. So he regretted his decision, but for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. So just confessing a sin, just getting emotional over a sin, doesn't mean we've turned from that sin. It was as if Esau didn't recognize what he needed saved from. Esau didn't understand. Esau didn't want to understand how significant the sin was that he committed. True repentance involves this, a heartfelt conviction of sin, a remorse over the offense towards God, a turning away from the sinful way of life, and turning towards God, honoring his life, not ours, Repentance is a lifestyle. This is often thought of in church land as a one-time event. We get saved, we said the prayer, we repented of our sins, and now we move on. Yet repentance is much more than a one-time event. It's multifaceted. And we are going to get through this. So how is it multifaceted? Look, this is the New Year's message. So that means we're anticipating God into the new year, so we're going to take this into the new year. That's why there's so many more pages. <laughs> Y'all thought you were going home to celebrate? And then I'm going to be like, well, if you leave, you're practicing religion. So get, Mark, bring out the confetti. <laughs> we're almost done. Repentance starts with recognizing our sin. I want to look at King David for a moment. Acts chapter 13, 22. After removing Saul, he made David their king. God testified concerning him. I have found David, son of Jesse, 
a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. So what was King David? He was a man after God's own heart, right? Okay. Yet even though King David was a man after God's own heart, he recognized that he needed to repent. What we don't do well in the church is sometimes, as believers, we think that it was a one-time event, so then we think we don't need to repent. We think that we are above repentance. But what happens here is King David, a man after God's own heart, recognized that he falls short, and he repents of his sin. Specifically, what we will look at today is King David, a man after God's heart, who committed adultery with Bathsheba, lied to her husband, and had him killed. This is not an action of a person who is a man after God's heart. But David recognized his sin. Psalm 51, 1 through 4. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity, for I know, sorry, and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. A man after God's own heart is still able to recognize his sin and turn from it. So before we can repent, we must recognize that we need to. And many people walk throughout life thinking that they have the proverbial moral high ground because they compare themselves to other people. That's why a lot of the church is not repenting because you're comparing yourself to all the Karens at works, right? And all the Richards, but you don't call them that. This often results in people not seeing their need to turn from their sin. So I ask you today, do you see your need to repent? Do you see your need to turn from your sin? Again, a king in high position who was a man after God's own heart recognized in Psalm 51 his transgressions, his iniquity, his sin. David took full responsibility and he knew that his sin was intentional. He knew that he knew better. When we sin, we know better. Additionally, we have to understand that sin creates and created a separation between us and God. Psalms 59, 1, 1 and 2. Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear. But your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. Sin creates a separation in our life. Wrap it up. Final two points. They're much shorter. Repentance means we renounce our sin. Isaiah 55, 7. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord 
and he will have mercy on them and our God and to our God for he will freely pardon. So when we repent, we renounce those sins. We forsake our ways. 2 Timothy 2, verse 19b, everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness, must repent. Finally, the last point. In worship team, we do have a song today. You guys can come up. If that, it looks like it might just be Chad. Oh, future uh, Mrs. Snyder. I had to get up early yesterday on my day off to continually write this contract for them as well. Got me working on a Saturday. Repentance means, as we go through the last point, repentance means we partner with the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, 13. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you live by the Spirit, sorry, yeah, but if you live by the Spirit, you will put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. So if we follow the flesh, we will die. But if we repent and turn from a life that follows our flesh, the Holy Spirit will help us put to death our sins. As we repent, the Holy Spirit will help us put to death our sins. So as we wrap up today, God wants us to be ready to change our ways. God wants us to be excited about a new thing. But if we want the new thing, what do we have to do? Repent. Your issues are solved in calling upon the name of Jesus and repenting. Every, every lonely second that you've ever experienced, every hurting emotion that you've ever had, every physical pain that you've ever endured is all made right with repenting and turning to him. So God wants us to step into that. And I just wonder today, do we want to play church? Do we want to practice religion? The ebbs and the flow of the message, right? Sometimes I feel like I can sense who's in and who's not. Today was a longer message, so we still have to harden and thicken how long we listen, right? But there are many ebbs and flows of this message today. It's not just a surface thing that God's asking for. It's not about just saying, God, I repent today. It's about changing your mind. It's about changing your heart. It's about changing your actions. It's about taking everything in life and giving it to him. He is the boss, so your life needs to be set up for him as boss. Anything less won't cut it. So many people back in the day missed God, missed Jesus because they were so busy with themselves. Because of COVID, because of kids, because of crisis, because of money, because of sickness, because of acceptance, because of, because of, because of, because of, we've become busy with ourselves. And we're missing God because we're busy with ourselves. 
back in Jesus' time, religious leaders knew the Messiah was coming and where he'd even be born. But when he was born, they didn't bother to go see him because they were stuck in their rituals. And I know some of us today have good intentions even right now, but many are missing the living presence of God because they're intentionally or unintentionally playing church. But to see the change in society that we want to see, we must repent. The world would be a better place if we would just quit pointing the finger at other people and we would deal with ourselves first. Because here's what I promise you. Though I think I have the right opinion or I wouldn't have it, my opinion to the world doesn't matter. But when I honor God and I follow Him, then the world can be changed. So society changes when we repent. Just doing religious stuff or things won't get us there. Playing church, practicing religion doesn't replace a heart that is right with God. That only happens when we repent. So, I think what um, we need to ask is this, is we need to pray like the Psalms, asking God to check our heart and to show where we need to change. Search me, O oh God, know me. So what we're gonna provide today is this. It's not because of some background music, maybe not even because of the message. But here's what I know is there was a season in my life where God was everywhere. God was in everything. The money, God was in the flat tire. There was a time, I kid you not, two weeks married, trying to be a man. We just moved into our um, duplex. And the neighbor, he's a, dr he's a drunk and he's crazy. And our duplex neighbor said this, he's pulled his shotgun out on me all the time. And I'm like, well, I don't ever want to talk to that guy. But God, if you ever want me to talk to that guy, I'll talk to him. I kid you not, I know nothing. Know nothing about cars at this point. YouTube wasn't even a real thing at this point, right? It's just really starting. Mark has a page, by the way. I'm kidding. Here's what happens. I need to be the man of the house. And my wife has a padiddle, so I need to fix her headlight. So here's what I do. Go, go out, fix my woman. She's fixing my lunch. Kraft macaroni and cheese. She's doing me right today. I'm gonna get this light fixed for her. So I go out there, pop my, or pop her a cord. Boom, boom, get it all get it all uh, stuck up there, right? Grab a screwdriver, because the little bit that I read, I have to unscrew the thing, right? The thing. So I stick it in there, and I lost the screwdriver. Like, that's okay, I got another one. So I go grab another one. Stick it in there. Nothing. Lost it again. 
Now I'm out. Don't have any more screwdrivers. Now what am I going to do, God? And you sit there, God, what am I going to do? So I just, I almost stick my hand in there. I'm just going to twist that sucker, and if I break it, I break it. Twist it, and I got it out. Pull the light, unsnap it, non-dominant arm, right? But you didn't know this point yet. To get my, my big forearms and biceps in there, I had to take the, I had to take the, um, nope, the air intake cover off. So I took the air intake cover off so I could get my large arms in there. As I'm pulling it up, I hit the hood. You get that shock through the elbow. My arm goes numb, and the light drops into the air intake. I'm like, now what? I came out here trying to be a man for my wife, and I'm praying, and I'm talking to God trying to do this thing, and I woke up a Christian, and now I'm really having doubts, God. So guess what? Here's what needed to happen. I'm like, what do I do? What do I do? So I go back to the garage. I'm like, God, if I just had one of those little baby screwdrivers, just these little bitty screwdrivers. I don't have any tools, right? Like, you get married, so you buy the $10 Walmart set. Those are all somewhere stuck, and I can't find them. If I just had this little bitty baby screwdriver, I could tighten that screw again. And I'm defeated. You're kicking stuff, right? I had all my tools in this little bucket, and you just want to kick it, and you want to be mad. So I'm pouting. Because, you know, she won up me today, that 90-second Kraft macaroni. So now I'm mad, and I'm frustrated. I just wanted to do something right. So I go to the garage, and um, I'm pouting, and I'm shutting the garage door, and as I shut the garage door, I look at the ground, because you're pouting, right? Your head's down. So I'm telling you today that sometimes you don't always have to keep your chin up. Sometimes you gotta have your chin down. And I'm shutting the garage door, and I look in the dirt, and I say, what the heck is that? What in the world is that? And I get down, And I saw something in the ground, and I dig out of the ground a little bitty screwdriver this big. So guess what I did? I went, and I tightened the thing that I needed to tighten. Macy had a new headlight now. But she also has an old headlight in her intake valve. <laughs> and I ain't got a tool for that. But let's just look at this. Shouldn't our worship look different on Sunday mornings when we know that that's the kind of God that's in our life? Did God put that little bitty screwdriver there that day? I don't know. But maybe the last tenant that moved out lost the little bitty screwdriver, and God was okay with it. And over years, it was just covered in mud until I needed it. Don't you want that reality? 
Why would you not get rid of your sin? Why would you not get rid of these things and say, God, I'm going to quit following myself and my ways because I want to follow you because I want itty-bitty screwdrivers in my life. You want to know something sad about that? While I was doing it, I lost it too. <laughs> no kidding. I'm thinking, God, I just wanted to keep this. I wanted to put it up in my office one day. No, it's gone. <laughs> but when I look back, the way that we can even laugh with him about that, isn't that a relationship? God, you, God gives and he takes away. But now I'm stuck with this predicament. We got this neighbor, Frank, who's always screaming and yelling, but he's always working on his car in his garage. God, what do I do? Go talk to Frank. God, what do I do? Go talk to Frank. So I scaredly walk over there. Frank, 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 huh? Frank, hey, I dropped my thingamajigger in, in the thing, and I don't know what to do, so if you could help me. What are you talking about? I dropped my thing in the thing, and I don't even know what this thing is called, but can you just come over and look? He said, yep. So he brought over his tools, stuck them in there, and couldn't get it out. He said, here's what's going to happen. When you drive and you get up to like 60 miles an hour, it's going to blow into your um, filter. Once you get home later tonight, pull out the filter, or maybe I should come pull out the filter, and then your light should be in there. If you see glass, clean it out, but this isn't going to destroy your engine. Thanks. So then I just tried to love on him, and I was just being gen uh, generally nice. And he said, what's your name again? I said, I'm Joey. What's your name? I'm Joey. He said, well, Joey, I just wanted to tell you something. Most people around here misunderstand me. I do have my own demons. But he said, my wife died last year. And I just, I don't know what to do. I'm lonely. I'm hurting. I'm lost. And I just thank you today that you came over and talked to me, that you allowed me to help you. God works in mysterious ways when we have an attitude that's willing to follow him. Because you know what I could have done? I could have quit. I could have quit praying. I could have quit asking. I could have quit following him. So that reality, today, today is not about repenting from being a gossip or repenting from not being generous or repenting from your lust or your lies or your status. Today's not about that. Today is repenting about leading your own life. If we want to have the reality of him, we quit leading our own life and we start to follow him. So I want to pr provide an opportunity today for the people in this room who say, I'm searching, I'm hurting, I want more. Not in an emotions way, but in a real way that say, God, I'm tired of playing church. And as far as today goes, I'm going to follow you. So we're going to sing a song. We're going to turn down the lights a little bit. 
and we're going to give you that opportunity to respond at the altar, sitting down, giving God everything that he is. So I'm going to pray. I'll give some instructions in the prayer, and you guys respond. Father, I do pray, I do ask that we would experience the reality of who you are, that we wouldn't settle for religion anymore. Father, I remember being 15 years old and just sensing the presence of God during service, and there was an altar call that I needed to respond to, and I said yes. So, Father, whether we are three today or 85, if we're hungry for you, Father, may we just come up here and say, God, I want what's next. I want to follow you. Father, I want to get rid of everything that keeps me from loving you because I want to see the reality of who you are. In Jesus' name, you guys can begin to respond.